Today I want to begin this series with a message entitled, Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People? Anybody ever asked that question before? Or anybody ever had that question asked of you before? From somebody who knew that you were a believer, somebody that knew that you were a follower of Christ, and they ask you, well, if God is so good, then why do bad things happen to good people? And this is a question that we need to address. It's a question that we need to answer because this is the very issue that a lot of people use when it comes to denying their existence of God. They say, well, if, if, if God is a God of love, then why does a God allow so much evil in our world? And if God is a God of love, and if God is a God of grace, and, a, and if God is a God of mercy, this God that you talk about, then why, why is there so much, so many bad things that happens in our world? Well, let, let me begin this morning by establishing this fact. And this is a fact that every one of us, if we don't know it, we need to know it this morning. And the fact that I want to establish right off the bat today is this, and that is only God is good. Are you hearing me? Only God is good. The Bible tells us in Mark chapter 10, verses 17 and 18, this is where Jesus has just been bringing the children in and he's been blessing them. And the disciples, you know, they just kind of rebuke Jesus and they say to, you know, say to the children that, that Jesus doesn't have time for you, but Jesus said, hey, don't forbid the children to come to me. Because if you want to get into my kingdom, then you've got to become like one of these. And then after he had that conversation, a, a young man comes to him. We know him as the rich young ruler. And the rich young ruler comes running to Jesus as Jesus was going down the road. And he knelt before Jesus and he asked him and he said, good teacher. Everybody say good teacher. He said, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life. And I want you to remember that question because we're going to come back and look at it again here in just a moment. He said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, and that is God. Only God is good. Now, we got to talk about this passage of Scripture here for just a moment because it almost sounds like Jesus is denying his divinity here. That when this young, rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says to him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, Why do you call me good? Because there's nobody good but one, and that is the Father. So it sounds like he's denying that he himself is God. It sounds like he's denying his divinity, but that's not what he's saying here. You've got to go back and understand the question that this young man was asking. He said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, it's not what you do, it's who you know that causes you to inherit eternal life because we just assume don't we we just assume that if we do good things then we are good people but listen to what Jesus says here in Matthew chapter 7 beginning at verse 7 he said ask and it will be given to you seek and you will find knock and it will be open to you for everyone who asks receives 
And he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? That is, if he asks for something good, you know, and you're a father, you're not going to give your son something evil. And then he said, or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a servant or serpent? And, and here's what Jesus said. He said, if you then, being what? Evil. Not good. Because you see, this is our condition right here apart from God. We are not good. Only God is good. And the only way that you and I could ever have any hope of being good is when the good one dwells on the inside of us. Because apart from the good one, the only good one who is God, we cannot be good. And we even have a difficult time being good even when the good one lives inside of us. And so Jesus said, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So we go back to that question that this young man asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Because if I do enough good things, then people are going to think I'm good. And if I do enough good things, then I can inherit eternal life. But Jesus said, no, nobody is good but one. And that is God. And basically what he's saying to this rich young ruler is this, because you remember the story that Jesus goes on and says to him, well, if you want to be good, keep the commandments. Do not murder, do not steal, do not commit adultery, do not do any of those kinds of things. And the rich young ruler, feeling good about himself, looked at Jesus and said, well, I've not done any of those things even since my birth. And then Jesus looks back at him and says this to him, well, then go sell everything you have. And give the proceeds to the poor. And the rich young ruler walked away sorrowful because he had many possessions. In other words, here's what Jesus is saying to this young man. He said, it's not your deeds. It's not just not committing adultery, not just stealing, not just committing murder. But what makes you good is when you put God first in your life. When God becomes first and foremost, when the good one dwells on the inside of you and the good one leads and guides and directs your life. And he emphasizes that further in this one, that if we then being evil know how to give good gifts. Now think about that for just a moment, Summit and Church of God. That if we being evil know how to good, give good gifts, how much more will a good father, one who is good, in his nature, one who cannot be evil, one who cannot be bad, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Only God is good. And James tells us that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation. In other words, he's good and he will always be good. He's good and he will never be evil. You can trust, and this is so important. You can now trust that no matter what happens in your life, God can bring something good out of it. Because he's a good, good father. And there's no variation or shadow of turning. And so the question this morning is not necessarily why do bad things happen to good people. Maybe the question we ought to be asking today is why do good things happen to bad people? Why do good things happen to evil people? 
Because let's face it, apart from God, we're evil. And like I said, even with God, sometimes we struggle. So maybe we should be asking, why are all these good things happening to me? Or maybe a better question is, why do bad things happen to God's people? Because any of us this morning in this room could probably say we're pretty good people because we do good deeds, we do good things, we treat people good. And so we would say if somebody were to ask us, are you a good person? We would say, yeah, well, yeah, I'm a good person. I do a lot of good deeds. I'm good to my parents, good to my children. You know, I'm good to people in the community. I'm good to come to church. All of those things, good. But it's not our good deeds. So here's what, I want, here's what I want to talk to you about this morning. First of all, I want to share with you some of the reasons why bad things happen to God's people. Not just good people, but to God's people. And, and not only are we going to talk about some of the reasons why bad things happen to God's people, but then we're going to talk about what our response should be when bad things happen to God's people or to good people. Notice in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, after God had created everything that is, the heavens and the earth, God looked at that and he saw that everything was what? Not just good, everything was very good. And the reason I bring that passage of Scripture up is because, well, if God is so good, then why didn't God create a world that was free of evil? And a God that, or if God is so good, why didn't he create a world that had no sin and had no hurt and had no pain. Listen to me. He did. That's exactly the kind of world that God created. After God created everything that was, he looked at it and he said, it is very good. God is not the one who messed this thing up. So, what are some of the reasons that bad things happen to good people? Here, here's, here's the first thing. Bad things happen to good people because good people make bad choices. Now, I could preach right there for a month of Sundays. And I think that every one of us in this room here today would probably agree that most of the pain that we've experienced in our lives is because of some bad choices and some bad decisions that we have made or maybe because of a bad choice or a bad decision that someone else made that we ended up feeling some of the consequences and the pain of their bad choices and their bad decisions. Let, let's go back to the beginning in Genesis chapter 2, beginning at first, third, verse 15. It says that the Lord God took the man, after he's created Adam and Eve, he took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree, look at this now, look at how good God is. God said you can eat from every single tree in this garden but one. Now, what will the enemy do? The enemy will come to you and say, well, no, God's not good because if God was good, he wouldn't have forbidden just the one. But no, notice how good God is. He's so good that he says, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, they already had a knowledge of good. They just didn't know it was good because at that time they didn't have anything to compare it to. They didn't know evil because the world was free of evil at that time. And if Adam and Eve would have continued on that course, they would have lived forever. 
But notice what it says. But he said, you can't eat of the knowledge of the tree of the good and evil. But, but, but because in the day that you do, you are going to surely die. God is clear with them. You eat of this tree, you disobey me, and you're going to die. And what did they do? We know the story. They ate of the tree. And immediately, the process of death began to work its way out in them. And then we go on down that after they've, after they've sinned, God comes looking for them and God begins to deal with them and we see the consequences of the choice that they made. It says that when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise. Back up there just a moment because notice what she does here. The woman saw that the tree was good for food. That's the lust of the flesh. The Bible said that it was pleasant to the eyes. That's the lust of the eyes. And then it said that it was also a fruit that was, she desired because she thought it would make her wise. That's the pride of life. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Which the scripture mentions as the way that the enemy attempts to deceive the people of God. And then notice what it goes on and it says, she took of its fruit and she ate. She took the fruit. She ate. Nobody's making her do this. Nobody is forcing her to do something against her will. Listen, when God created man, God gave to man a free will. He gave him the ability to choose. God created human beings. God did not create robots. God does not want you loving him and serving him because you're forced to love him and serve him. God wants you to love and serve him because you choose to do that. So it goes on and it says that she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her. Make sure you understand that. He wasn't out on the backside of the garden not knowing what was going on. He was witnessing this whole thing. Who was with her and he ate against. Nobody forced him to. This is a choice that he is making. Then the man said, the woman, when God comes and confronts them, what do they do? They begin to play the blame game. And, and Adam says to, to God, when God comes and confronts his sin, he said, the woman whom you gave me. And so she, he's not just blaming the woman. He's also blaming God. God, if you'd have never given me this woman, <laughs> this would have never happened. But he said, God, the woman that you gave to be with me, she, she's the problem. She gave me of the tree, but notice he said, but I ate. Again, it was his choice. It was his decision. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? What does she do? She blames. She said, well, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The serpent may have tempted her and the serpent may have deceived her just like he does us. He will try to deceive us and try to tempt us. But listen, the devil cannot make you do anything that you do not want to do just like God will not make you do anything that you want to do. But what he will do is try to entice you, deceive you, tempt you, appeal to your flesh. And the woman said, well, the serpent deceived me, but I made the choice to eat. And then the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this. Now, I want you to notice the consequences of this choice. That because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And he said, I will put enmity. There will be opposition. 
between the woman and the seed of the woman. He said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And to the woman, listen to what he said, I will surely multiply your pain. There's a word Adam and Eve had never heard before. Because before sin, there was no pain. Before sin, there was no hurt. Before sin, there was no abuse. Do you understand where I'm going with this? And she said, I will multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth your children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife. Now listen, guys, this doesn't mean that you don't need to listen to your wife. But what this means and what God is saying is, he's saying to Adam, you chose to listen to her rather than to listen to what I said. And how many of you know that when God speaks, that what God says should take priority over what anybody else says? That's why God has given us his word and whatever, whatever God says in this word. Listen, if anybody says anything that is contradictory to this word, you don't pay it any attention. You always do, even if it sounds like good advice, even if it sounds like good wisdom, if it's not what God said, you don't do it. He said, you chose to listen to your wife instead of me. And he said, so you shall now be cursed. The ground is going to be cursed because of you. And he said, in pain, in pain, there's that word pain again, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Look at things that are happening now that never happened before. Thorns and thistles, things that bring pain, shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. He told him, he said, if you disobey me, you'll die. And he said, that's exactly what the end result is going to be. You're going to go right back. To dust. All of this consequences of their choices. And when you go through the Word of God, you see many good people, you see many of God's people making bad choices and having to suffer the consequences of those choices. You think about Abraham. God had promised Abraham and Sarah that he was going to give them a child, but what did they do? They tried to take matters into their own hands, and Abraham's end up sleeping with Hagar, his maidservant, and she gets pregnant. She gives birth to a son named Ishmael. And we're still dealing with the opposition of those two races to this day between Ishmael and Isaac. You think about Lot. Think about the consequences of the choice that Lot made. When he was given a choice about what land he would settle in, the Bible said that he looked down along the plains of Zoar and he said, it looks like Egypt, but it also looks like the garden of the Lord. Do you know what he's saying? Egypt is always a type of the world. And he looked at this piece of land and he said, man, this looks a little bit like the world, but it also looks a little bit like God. I can have the best of both worlds here. And the worst decision he ever made was when the Bible said he pitched his tent toward Sodom. Maybe he never intended to move in, but eventually he moved his family into Sodom. And we know the consequences of that bad choice. Think about David, a man that the Bible says was a man after God's own heart. He was God's man, but he made a bad choice when he was tempted with whether or not he would pursue a relationship with Bathsheba. 
Instead of overcoming that temptation, he gave in to the temptation. He made a bad decision. He made a bad choice. And he and his family suffered the consequences because of it throughout the rest of their lives. You see, folks, God's people, good people, sometimes bad things happen to us because of the bad choices that we make. Listen to what Paul said in Galatians 6, 7, and 8. He said, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. We all know it to be true. We reap what we sow. And if we reap corruption, or if we sow corruption, we're going to reap corruption. If we feed our flesh then our flesh is going to be the strongest part about us. But if we feed our spirits, then our spirit will grow bigger than our flesh. But it's all according to what we're sowing. And if we sow bad choices, we reap bad consequences. But if we sow good choices, we reap good consequences. But here's the good news. And I'll talk more about it a little bit later just in case some of you are about to check out on me. Well, Pastor, does that mean my life is over because I've made some bad choices? No. Because God can bring good even out of the bad choices that you've made in your life. Now, that doesn't mean that we need to leave here today and go try to make a lot of more bad choices. <laughs> because the Bible says that where grace or where sin abounds, grace that much more abounds. So does that mean that we just need to go out and sin more and more and more and more so that we can experience more and more and more of God's grace? No, that's not what it's saying at all. And if that's your heart, then your heart hasn't been transformed by the Holy Spirit. Because when the good one lives on the inside of you and he leads, guides, and directs you, then you don't want to do what is evil. But you want to do. Your desire is to do what is good. And sometimes bad things happen to good people because good people, even God's people, can make bad choices. But here's another reason why bad things happen to good people or to God's people, and that is that bad things happen to good people to prepare them for God's purpose. Because no doubt there's some of you that are sitting here in this room here today, and you're not suffering the consequences of your own choices, but maybe you're suffering some pain and consequences from somebody else's choices. Maybe somebody was unfaithful to you. Maybe somebody took advantage of you when you were younger and molested you or abused you. And you're wondering if you'll ever get past those moments in your life, if you'll ever get past the pain. And listen, because God is such a good, good daddy. He can take the worst thing that has ever happened to you in your life. And he can make something good out of it. I know it's hard for you to see that right now, but he can. He can make something good out of it. Think about in the Bible, in the Old Testament, think about a guy by the name of Joseph. I doubt if there's anybody here today that had quite the journey that Joseph had. I mean, God gave him a dream when he was just a teenager. And in that dream, God was letting Joseph know, listen, I have great purpose attached to your life. I have a great destiny attached to your life. And when he shared that dream, his brothers became jealous of him and wanted to get rid of him. So they threw him into a pit 
where they knew that he would be open prey for lions to come in and devour him. And if it had not been for his older brother coming to his rescue, then he would have lost his life there. But then they saw a band of Ishmaelites coming, and one of them spoke up and said, Hey, I've got a better idea. Let's make some money. Let's profit off of this. And so they bring their brother Joseph up out of a pit, and they sell him to that Ishmaelite man who takes him to Egypt, where he is sold as a slave to a man by the name of Potiphar. And so Joseph begins to serve in a strange land, in a strange home, under a strange leader, Potiphar. But somehow, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, but the Lord was with Joseph. Really? I mean, if the Lord is with Joseph, then why is this happening to him? Well, the Bible says that the Lord was with Joseph, and God gave him favor in Potiphar's house. But Potiphar wasn't the only one that noticed Joseph. Potiphar's wife noticed Joseph, that he was handsome and well-built, the Bible said. And every day out of her passion for him, she would pursue him and try to get him to do something that he knew was wrong in the eyes of God and something that he knew would be wrong to the man that he served for. And finally, one day she came in and had about all that she could have and she, she poured it on strong. And, and man, Joseph, he got out of there as quickly as he could. And as he was leaving, she reached and grabbed his cloak and, and, and his cloak came off and then some servants came in and then she began to falsely accuse Joseph and say, hey, he tried to rape me. He tried to force himself on me. And when Potiphar heard about it, he put Joseph in prison. But do you know what the Bible says? That when Joseph was in prison, the Lord was with him. Really? God, don't you have a better place <laughs> than prison? And while he's in prison, the Lord is with him, and God gives him favor with the jailer. And then there's two other guys in there. There's a, there's a, there's a cupbearer, and there's a baker. And they both have dreams, and they don't understand their dreams. And Joseph interprets their dreams to the, to the baker. He says to him, he said, well, what your dream means is, buddy, your life's done. Your life's over. I'm paraphrasing there. But he says to the cupbearer that you're going to be delivered and you're going to be restored back to your place of position. And it happened exactly the way that Joseph said that it was going to happen. But here's what Joseph said to the cupbearer. He said, just remember me. Just, just tell Potiphar. Tell Potiphar about me when you stand before him. Well, the cupbearer forgets who Joseph is and what Joseph has done until two years later. Can you imagine that? For two more years after that incident, Joseph is still left down there in prison. And Pharaoh has a dream. And he doesn't know the interpretation of the dream. And then all of a sudden, it hits the cupbearer. Hey, when I was in jail, there was a guy down there. When I had a dream, he was able to interpret my dream. And it happened exactly the way he said it was going to happen. And then God brings Joseph out of prison. And you know the story how that eventually Joseph becomes second in command in all of Egypt. And then one day there is a famine in Israel and Joseph's dad and his brother Joseph's dad tells his brothers you've got to go down to Egypt and you've got to get us some grain, you've got to get us something to eat. And so his brothers show up and Joseph sees the men who sold him into slavery. When he first saw them he began to weep. He recognized them but his brothers did not recognize him. Of course, he sends them back home with some food, but entices them in such a way that they have to come back. 
And then when they come back the second time, he's standing in the same room with his betrayers. And the Bible says this. The Bible says that Joseph said to them, do not be afraid. Because I can guarantee you they were afraid of what might happen to them when they found out who Joseph was. And what he had the power to do to them. But the Bible says, he looked at them and said, do not be afraid for, I am, for am I in the place of God? But he said, but as for you, you meant evil. Why? Because without God, we are evil. He said, without me, you, you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people's lives. Isn't that amazing that Joseph was able to see that even in the pain that he had experienced in his life, that God had used that along with some good things that had happened in his life as well, that God had used both the good and the bad to help fulfill his purpose and his destiny in life. And that shouldn't surprise us because Paul tells us in Romans 8 and 28, we know that all things, everybody say all things, that means good things and bad things. He said that all things work together for what? For good to those who what? Love God to those who have put God first in their lives, to those who have been indwelt by the good one, to those who are the called. Now look at this. This is important. According to his purpose. You've got to understand God has a purpose for your life. And God can use good things and bad things that have happened in your life. Listen, to fulfill his purpose, not your will, his will be done. Not your work, his work be done. Not your selfish purpose, but God's purpose. That's what he's concerned about. And he can use both good and bad together to bring good. So you see, sometimes when bad things happen to God's people or to good people, it's God working his purpose. Listen, he's not punishing you. By allowing these things. And you understand that God is never the source of hurt and evil or pain in your life. But God, because he is so good, can bring good even out of bad. Now that's a good father. Here's the third reason that bad things happen to good people. And that is because there is a bad devil. Let's not forget that. Satan is like a roaring lion just seeking whom he may devour. The Bible said in the beginning of time that there would be enmity, there would be adversity, there would be opposition between the woman and her seed. So don't be surprised when the enemy comes trying to destroy God's masterpiece. The Bible says it like this in John chapter 10, that the thief's purpose is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So, so let's just face it. The enemy never comes with any good in your life. Never. He only comes to destroy you, to destroy God's purpose, to steal God's purpose, to kill God's purpose in your life. And sometimes bad things happen. Because we have an enemy who hates us, who opposes us, 
who is adverse to us. But as I go into this last point, I'm praying right now (laughs) that the Holy Spirit will begin to move upon hearts, spirits, and souls of every individual in this room here today. You're a God person, you're a good person, but you've been going through some difficult things and you don't understand why. Let me tell you the last reason. Bad things happen to good people to remind us. We're not home yet. Did you hear me? We are not home yet. This world is not our home. Do you hear me? This evil world that does not know God, this dark world that does not know God, and people who have not yet been transformed by the grace and the love of God, you understand that this place is only temporary. It's not going to be like this forever. The Bible says that we are like pilgrims just passing through this strange land. But we're not home yet. We long for home. The Bible even says that all of creation groans for the redemption of the sons of God, for everything to be put back into order because they know that when the sons of God have been redeemed and restored and when everything is put back into its original context with which God created it, and listen to me, God is going to make all things new. Amen. God is going to make all things new. That's why Paul could say, I consider that the sufferings of this present time, they are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. And then I love what John the Revelator spoke in Revelation 21 and 4 when he said that when heaven, when the new heaven and the new earth comes to where we are and God makes his home among the people, he says that he will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death no more sorrow no more crying no more pain all these things are gone forever hallelujah aren't you longing for that day hallelujah just look at your neighbor and say we're not home yet (laughs) but I really don't believe we're going to have to endure this earth much longer. I believe Jesus is coming soon. I really do. I believe Jesus is coming soon. So what does my response need to be? And, and team, you can go ahead and come and get ready to close this this morning. What, what should our response be when bad things happen to good or to God's people? Here's the first thing right here. Just chill. Just wait. Because God is working things out. Listen to what James said in James chapter 1. He said, my brethren, count it all joy when. Everybody say when. He didn't say if. He said, but count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Now, why can I have joy when I'm facing all kind of trials and trouble and difficulty in my life? Because I know God has a purpose for it. And notice what he said. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete 
lacking nothing. When I say wait, I don't mean you just sit around doing nothing. We don't just sit around doing nothing waiting for the return of the Lord. There is a kingdom to be expanded and the kingdom of God to be built in this earth. And there's plenty of work for us to do to be light and to eliminate the darkness in our community. There's plenty to do. So we don't just sit around doing nothing. But when I'm saying waiting, I mean that we're waiting, trusting God. We're waiting expectantly, knowing that God's purpose, if we cooperate with him, that his purpose will be fulfilled even through our pain. But not only that, don't just wait, witness. See, something that you have gone through, some kind of a difficult situation that you have survived in your life, somebody else may be going through that right now, and you could be a comfort to them. You could be a witness to them. That's what the Bible's talking about in 2 Corinthians when it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all what? Comfort. God is a God of comfort. He, he told his disciples, he said, I'm not going to leave you comfortless, but I'm going to send my Holy Spirit to comfort you when you're going through difficult times. Somebody needs to be comforted by Holy Spirit this morning. And he said that he's the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort by which we ourselves have been comforted by God just as the Holy Spirit has comforted us now we need to be a comfort to somebody else who's going through a difficult time in their lives and then thirdly war listen to me church there's some things you just got to fight through you just got to keep fighting and you've got to keep fighting if you believe in it enough if your marriage is going through some pain today maybe because of some difficult choice or some bad choices that you've made in your marriage then what you've got to do to get that thing back right you got to fight you got to fight you got to fight for that your children you got to fight for those children there's just some things you've got to fight through and God's given us his armor and he says to stand and when you've done all that you can do keep standing Keep believing, keep fighting, don't quit, don't give up. Fight your way through and then finally worship. You may find this to be the most difficult thing to do when bad things are happening in your life and you don't understand why. You do know that if God were to give you an explanation, you still wouldn't understand, don't you? You'd still say, why God? Here's what I discovered a long time ago. I don't live by explanations. I live by the promises of God that he's faithful to bring me through any situation or circumstance. And I say bring me through. He doesn't always deliver me out immediately, but he always brings me through. And I'm a better man as a result. <clears throat> I think about Job. So we close this morning. I think about Job. If you've never read the book of Job or if you've never read the story of Job, you can get a good idea in about the first two chapters. But in chapter 2, at the end of chapter 2, you see he and his wife standing there after losing everything they had. The only thing they had left was themselves and their marriage. 
They'd lost their children. They'd lost their house. They'd lost their other possessions. They'd lost their cattle, their livestock. Everything they had. And Job's wife looks at him after seeing him go through all of that, and she said, Honey, why don't you just curse God and die? I've seen you suffer enough. But that would not be Job's response. The end of chapter 1, after losing everything, it said, Then Job arose, he tore his robe and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground, and he worshipped. He worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You need to know that God is still God no matter what you're going through. And you need to understand that he is still a good God. He is still a good father. And that God still has his best, your best interest in mind. And you need to know that even though you might be going through some difficult times today, God has not left you. And God has not forsaken you. That just like with Joseph, even in the pit and in the prison, the Lord was with him. And somebody needs to be assured this morning that God is with you today. And he's ready to comfort you in your trouble in your tribulation.